For so very long, it's been... Go on, George. Tell how it's gonna be. But in the end, the commission only said... We figured it 17 different ways. And every time we figured it, it was no good. Because no matter how we figured it... But no matter how you figure it out, I still don't get as much as anybody else. Somebody don't like the way we figured it. So now, there's only one way to figure it. And that is every man for himself. When Black Friday comes, this is the end. It's the end of the world. It's the end of the world as we know it. Or is it now? As a new year hits, through it all, Beaver Nation moves ahead with resiliency and hope. Sun's up, mm-hmm. Looks okay, the world survives into another day. And the way forward goes through, as it must, The Joe Beaver Show with John Warren and Mike Parker. A number of times I heard these guys' voices over and over and over. Still can't find it. Ah, can't find it? We can help. This here is 1240. 1240. It's always been 1240. My client says it's 1240. Yeah. Plus 93.7 FM and streaming live at KEJOAM.com and on the KEJO app. It's the Joe Beaver Show. That's rough. Ooh. Good morning, Johnny. Good to see you again. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back. Hey, it's good to be back home again. It's an open we don't play anymore for different reasons. But it was in the queue for a while, and it's always good to be back home. Yes, it is. Los Angeles. A pattern now. I hear it rained a lot. It it rained heavily, and but we got out of there just before it rained. I heard Romy talking about his flight to Vegas. It, now, is President Biden going from L.A.? Is he also going to Vegas? Because I heard Rome saying something about that. I know that for the first time in our collective lives, we sat on the tarmac uh-huh. in Burbank. We were originally going to charter home after the USC game from LAX, got rerouted over to Burbank. Why? Well, Air Force One was going to be landing at LAX. And so we so we were affected by the presidential entourage and his arrival in L.A., not only by being bumped from LAX to Burbank, but we had to sit on the tarmac in Burbank because the airspace, the, the, uh-huh. and I'm not just getting this secondhand, the captain came on the air and said, well, you know, Air Force One and its airspace, we have to wait until all of that's clear, and then we'll be taking off. And we no thought, oh my here. gosh, wow, we might sit here for two or three hours. I mean, we had no idea yeah. how long they had to have that, how much of the air. I just found it intriguing that... Here we are, bumped from LAX to Burbank, quite a ways away from LAX. Yeah, yeah. And the flight pattern would be considerably different, but the guy, all of it, we take these things for granted. Fly, you know, I, I, it's incredible to <laughs> me that that what we can do and what's been achieved. Yeah. The you know, uh, jet travel through the skies is just in itself phenomenal. It is. And then, you know, the captain was talking, we've got to replot everything, and so it's going to take us a while. It was almost like they were surprised (laughs) at the delay, just the way he was talking. Yeah, almost like they were unprepared. Uh, I read a headline that Oregon was delayed in its game because of the presidential, what do you call that? Uh, The entourage? The, the, uh, you know, the uh, line of cars. Procession. Oh, okay. To get from one place to another, you know, and they they shut down streets and everything. It's all security issues. Yeah. I've, I've seen it before, but but uh, you know, if you're not planning on it and you have no idea, 
I remember one time when we were, I was with Craig Robinson, we were in Washington, D.C., and uh, we were just down, we were outside of a hotel walking to a restaurant, and it was right in the area where Kim and I just went and spent a whole week, and we saw at least two or three of those those long, you know, black security SUVs mm-hmm. go through, and someone said, oh, yeah, they, they that's for all the senators and congressmen, mm-hmm. you know, so you see them all the time. So when we were there on vacation in the summer, Congress was not in session. We didn't see any. Yeah. But it's weird. And I guess Oregon's game against UCLA, I think it was, was delayed because Oregon had to stop their bus. I believe it. Now, I'm not sure where they were staying in relation to LAX and traveling to mm-hmm. Poly Pavilion. They played an evening game. And wherever right? that, that motorcade was going, yeah. I don't know where yeah. it was going. Well, anyhow, we sat on the tarmac and waited and waited, and finally the airspace was cleared, and we made it back home late Saturday night. But I just, in all, in 25 years of traveling, that's the first time that a presidential event mm. affected and impacted Oregon State trying yeah. to just get back to to the <laughs> Eugene Airport and back to the Mid Valley, and already being north of where they are anyway. Yeah, thinking, well, I know. Is north and east and far? way away, but that airspace. Uh, when you deal with the air, it's a bigger, yeah. bigger swath. So that was interesting, in its own right. Uh, I, I don't understand why you change hotels. That I don't understand. That. Well, you know. Did you ever do the Marina Del Rey one-shot deal? Well, I mean, that was the, the glory of uh, back in the good old days of the, <laughs> the Pac-10. The best property in the conference was the Marriott on the corner. That's where we stayed. Washington, and, and you'd stay there the whole trip. Yep. The Just... L.A. trip is the only trip where you'd stay in the same place the whole time. Yeah. And a walk down to the beach, and mm-hmm. there you are at Venice Beach. That's what afforded many... Body surfing ah, opportunities. I didn't even realize I was years. so close to the beach. I never walked out of yeah, the beach. Well, it just sort of depends. You know, that's it, that is uh, a little bit how one is raised, and because and so it wouldn't make it wouldn't just be automatic to you who didn't grow up right. going to the beach as right. I did with my. You would go to the Oregon coast, but not to the beach to body surf and boogie board and swim. That was the gl- glory of life. In my childhood, that in Dodger games on the radio and Chavez Ravine. Hacienda Heights was quite a Hacienda ways Heights away. was a good good journey. You know, I mean, I we'd go on Beach Boulevard to Huntington Beach, mm-hmm. uh, Highway Thirty Nine, aka Beach Boulevard. I've been uh, to Huntington Beach many times. Right, and Huntington and Newport aren't that far apart, but right. we so we go to Huntington. But Newport had the it, Newport was a little cleaner and better. Mm-hmm. I just talked to, in fact, a couple of Beaver fans who were at the game at Galen Center who live when the Beavers play baseball this year against USC in what will be, save for the Pac-12 baseball tournament, mm-hmm. but the last series, regular series in the Pac-12 will be against USC on the road and not even at Dado Field. That just... To me, that's almost indicative of the strange world we're in and yeah. the sign of the time. Where, where are they playing? UC Irvine's ballpark. Mm, okay. I hope they have all the amenities, Ethernet and everything else that oh, we right, need. Hank right. and others will I did have read to look about, into that. About how I, wasn't, I don't remember the, any declaration or announcement of what they were going to do at uh, Dado, but I, I saw that and thought, oh, that's mm-hmm. interesting. So the so, Beavers won't play there. We will not play at Dado Field, our last Pac-12 series as we know, the conference and have known it will be against the Trojans at UC Irvine. Mm. What, it, to 
Outstanding Beaver fans, Tony and Svetlana. Tony comes to every Beaver event in Southern California. He said, oh, man, you guys are coming to Irvine, and that's just down the street from us. Oh, okay, good. And he said, we're just a few minutes away from Newport Beach. And I said, Tony, I'll be looking you up on that trip. Then. <laughs> <laughs> looking Not necessarily for a place to stay, but to change clothes or whatever else <laughs> with Newport Beach not far. So that's the only, in a sense, good thing about the games being bumped to Irvine to mm-hmm. close the Pac-12 regular season on the road. Yesterday, a good day for the Oregon State women's basketball team. Associate head coach Jonas Chatterton will be joining us at 11.30 to talk about the way the Beavers dug that game out, down early 7-2, then had as large as a 13-point lead, and then, as so often happens in rivalry games, things tightened up to the point that Oregon finally, I think, caught the Beavers at 41 after trailing by as many as 13, then had a possession or two to take the lead. I always feel like the ability to not relinquish a lead Mm -hmm. is big, particularly when you're on the road. And the Beavers never relinquished it. They were up 13 in Oregon somewhat steadily and with some good play and playing really very well, I thought. In fact, I thought both teams played well and shots on the broadcast with Mary Murphy, their third straight Beaver game. And and I've got a call out to her hoping that uh, she'll be able to join us maybe today at some point to talk about what she's seen recently. We had Mary Murphy on last mm-hmm, week. Mm-hmm. Jonas today from a coaching perspective about what he's seen from his position as the associate head coach in his 10th year on the staff from this growing, burgeoning, uh, blossoming team. It's just beautiful to watch what they're doing. But Ann said four or five times yesterday, wow. You know, and I like that. It's the Quinn Buckner <laughs> throwing your head back and laughing at uh, Paris Breeze for Loyola Marymount. There's no analysis involved. There's just, you know, a triple team steal, throw it to Paris Steamer or Fryer in the corner, good again. And Quinn Buckner's analysis is just, <laughs> I mean, he was just throwing his head back and laughing in the yeah. second half as LMU pulled away from Michigan. 149 to 115. Think about that for a moment. Just think about that as a score in an NCAA tournament game. It's still, it's marvelous to me. It's just incredible to me. But it ultimately it, it doesn't out. last. Yeah. Just as the wizardry that you talk about, the guy, <laughs> you know, you got the guy, uh, you know, the great Bob Eager, I think, was the voice of Michigan, saying you got this eeky-beeky turning the corner here and running up <laughs> the hole here, Michigan takes the lead. You know, the great announcer for the Wolverines. Yeah. Talk. But it all gets rained back in. The mm-hmm. wishbone, unstoppable. Yeah. Everything gets stopped and everything evolves and changes at some point. So the 149 to 115 one of the greatest victories in the history of the NCAA tournament. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Just by the score itself and the way they swarmed Michigan in a 40-minute game, 149 to 115. It's still one of the most incredible games I've ever seen. And Quinn Buckner reduced just to laughter in his analysis. Quinn, what do you think? <laughs> because he was watching LMU at the heights of perfection. Well, Anne wasn't throwing her head back and laughing yesterday, and the game itself was a bit more modest in score. But she kept saying, wow, because there were a lot of wow moments for both teams. Lily Hansford, in particular, 
hitting just some gigantic threes, including a four-point play in the fourth quarter to help the Bees, after getting caught, push it back out again mm-hmm. and hold a determined Oregon team off. It was a good win. That was a great win, yeah. especially in front of 8,000 fans. Uh, I understand there was a pretty good contingent of Beaver fans, but you know, 8,000 Duck fans, last time that they're scheduled to play there. How about that? Last time you're scheduled to play in that arena. There will be more games, but as of right now, it's not scheduled. And, uh, you know, you, you, you make the mark with the victory in the series and and that's the last taste in your mouth for a while for them, which is good. But you're right about holding off teams. You don't want them to mm-hmm. even get that one one time with the bucket where it they gets take the, the crowd lead. into it. it and changes the Oregon bench was jumping up around there. It's they an were optics engaged. thing. It's yep. a psychological thing. It changes everything. And the fact that they can hold them off. And, and then with Tamiya Gardner coming through with 19 oh, points wow. as the leading scorer, it shows it virtually every game they have someone new. And Lily Hansford with 10 points in the fourth quarter. Yeah. She hadn't done anything in quite some time. So uh, just incredible. We had Donovan Hunter on the program, I think it was on Friday, mm-hmm. and she came through with uh, a pretty good uh, game for herself. And it's, it's just they're deep, um, and Oregon was giving them their shot. Oregon had been, been playing a little better of late after, uh, you know, even though they lost five straight, but they had been playing a little better of late. And they made more of a game of it than I thought it would be. I kind of thought the Beavers would win by a larger margin. But the fact that they won a road game and yes. held off a team that has a lot of pride and, and uh, absolutely was really the big story, part of that story. An excellent win. So we're going to take a break now, come back with Jonas at about 1130. But if there's anything you'd like to hit on relative to yesterday's game, anything else over the weekend, did any of you attend the service for Tim? On Saturday, John had mentioned it. We'd mentioned it and talked about it. For Tim Reynolds, my daughter and neighbor, a good friend, went. Others that I know went. Pat Casey, Mike Riley were there, from what I've been told. Did you go? Did any of you go to pay tribute to the life of Tim Reynolds? I heard that, you know, Lydia texted me and, and a photograph of people lined up outside the, I think, the congregate, first congregational church on West Hills Road lined up on the outside, and Lydia said, we're going to need a bigger church. Wow. She's seen Jaws. She likes the film. Who doesn't? It's a classic. But she wrote, we're going to need a bigger church. And that was beautiful to see. And I heard Harold was very funny, that Donnie was too, that uh, they all spoke and spoke eloquently and lovingly towards the life of Tim Reynolds. And many of you uh, have have shared with me things I didn't know about his officiating days, how well-loved of a figure he was in the community. So if any of you went and want to share or reflect at all, Everett Hartman, I heard, told great stories. Everett, if you're listening, call now and we'll uh, reprise maybe something you shared about Tim. I know Coach Hartman listens sometimes and has contributed to, to the show through the years. So Everett, if you're out there, please call us in this segment. Jonas Chatterton coming up, a request out to run and end shots and P.J. Carlissimo, Gina Mizell, Lynn Shackelford as the week goes along. More on that later. If you'd like to join us, 497-5356, 497-5356. Your thoughts about the Oregon State women's basketball team and its rivalry game victory yesterday. We'd love to hear from you on the Joe Beaver Show on Joe Radio. One thing I may ask Jonas about when he joins us in a few minutes beyond the game itself, the game plan, the execution of it, the great win, 
the way the team is playing and coming together, it's been so fun to watch. But I didn't realize this, but doing a little research this morning, taking a deeper dive on his own life, he took a one-year hiatus from collegiate coaching to work as director of sales and marketing for a medical supply company in San Diego for one year. And good for him. That you know, that can yeah. be a lucrative job and 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 an important position. And he did it for one year in San Diego and got back into coaching. <laughs> and I, so I, it's something I've never talked to him about before. But you know, he he lived for a year probably in that whole Glen Gary kind of world, oh, high yeah. pressure. Yeah. Although I don't know that there's I'm, a lot of pressure in that. I'm world. not sure. Maybe not the same. But any kind of sales position deal, you know, yeah, I know. You got to get the guy on the line. You got to, you know, it's just <laughs> you get, you're dealing pool. with doctors. Yeah. Now. <laughs> well, that's true. Let's go to uh, Mark, who saw Jonas and company in person yesterday at Matthew Knight Arena. From what I understand, went down to the game with the, the Beaver entourage and watched the Beavers win the rivalry game and sweep the series. Mark, good morning. Welcome to the Joe Beaver Show. Hey guys, how you doing? Good, good, thank you. That was that was, that was my first experience at uh, at uh, Matthew Knight. It'll probably be my last. Why is that? It, it's not. Well, it's just not as uh, it's not as near as good a watching venue from my standpoint uh, as uh, as Gill. Uh, Steam up over the. It reminds me of their old stadium, I can't remember what it's called, where you're sitting right on over the course. And I'd much rather be where I'm at and go and, and, and equivalent type of seats. But, you know, I just, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't, and besides that board drives me nuts, but that's another thing. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, and shots, we watch the replay. I always do that when I come home. And uh, the replay last night, shots was so high on Tania Gardner. Yes. Uh, it was it was kind of cool because she really was the key to to, to that victory. Uh, that we had, I've, I've never seen a struggle as much and have so many three point shots that uh, you know I don't know whether the rims were tight or what. <laughs> they mm-hmm. they, they mm-hmm. looked like they were going and then they just bam they were off. We just didn't hit the threes like we normally do. Yeah, but, it, uh, yeah. I loved I love this team. This is, this is so special. Yeah, and we'll talk to Coach Chatterton about the team, the depth that's being developed, the different roles, and as John mentioned, Mark, the the fact that they're they're talented enough, resourceful, deep enough that it can be a different player almost every game. You get consistency certainly from the great Reagan Beers and another double double, fourteen points, sixteen rebounds, two block shots, two steals. She's rock solid, but it, it seems as though. Other players step up on given days and nights, such as we saw Tamia early when the shots weren't going in. Hers were, and that helped them build that 13-point lead. And then in the fourth quarter, Lily Hansford, who hadn't made a three, hit three of them <laughs> in the fourth, and the yeah. Beavers win. Yeah, no, it was it was, it was good. I'm kind of curious. Uh, Miss Hunter didn't play uh, near the minutes, but uh, mm-hmm. it seemed like she. I'm kind of curious as to whether she was a bit under the weather or, or uh, what was going on. Because I'll tell you what, she is special. She is. She's really special. Yeah, they, they list her at 24 minutes. Yeah, I'm not sure what her average is. Yeah. I don't have the stats in front of me, but that sounds about yeah. right. Uh, and Yeah, maybe you're right. It just didn't seem like it. You know, she may not have been quite as impactful as she was in the, you know, in terms of the stat line and all of those things that she, she the way she played against the mountain schools in the sweep. But again, that's 
part of being a freshman, there are some, some ups and downs. It takes a while to find that sure. level of consistency, but it also speaks to, again, the depth of the team that even if she didn't have the kind of weekend she did at home against the Mountain Schools, the Beavers go on the road and still win. No, I, she, when she was in, her, her, uh, I think her stats per minute are fine. I mean, she yeah. had some shots. She made some great assists, played some great defense. Uh, you know, so I, I, I was just curious. Didn't seem like maybe she was. That was normal time. It seemed like she was out for a, maybe an extra, extra five or ten minutes that she mm. didn't get in. But uh, anyhow, it, it was it was it was a uh, it was very interesting for being as close as it was. For some reason, sitting up there. I didn't feel tensed up like, oh, my gosh, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. we're really threatened because every time that uh, they would get close, they'd miss two or three shots, and we'd finally make one, and yeah. we'd be back up four points. So it yeah. kind of interesting game. It really was. Mark, great to hear from you. Thanks but, for uh, sh- Thank you. Yep. Thanks for sharing your thoughts. We'll come back and talk to the associate head coach, Jonas Chatterton, about the win, the nature of the win and the growth of this team it has been exciting and referenced yesterday. The Beavers were picked 10th in the Pac-12 conference this year, and yet here they are. Hunter was right on her average, 24 Yeah, I thought that was about right. And what was her – give me your quick stat line. Uh, we had her on on Friday. She yes. answered with six points, four assists. She's second on the team in assists, mm-hmm. right? Well, she's not right behind uh, Von Olhoffen, but she's the clearly ahead of everybody mm-hmm. else in assists. 0 for 2 from 3. Uh, three for five from the field, that's not bad. And only one turnover with those four assists. In 24 minutes, and did she get to the free throw line? Yeah, no. Okay, and how many um, steals? Uh, none. None, but great defense. She plays tremendous Oh yeah. man-to-man defense. And the Beavers played mostly man, if I watched it closely, closely enough, I think maybe one or two possessions of zone, but mostly man in uh, in that 64-60 win. We'll talk about these matters and more with Jonas. And shots is a no-go today. We'll have plenty of open phone opportunities to explore Shoals Ferry Road and Highway 217 and other matters next hour. It's good to have you with us. Coach Chatterton next on the Joe Beaver Show. Yeah, well, we, we may work it in at some point. The, fissi- be... the fissiparous nature of college uh, athletics. I came across the word fissiparous or fissiparity yesterday. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Had to look it up. The tendency to split, to break, to split apart and move into different the factions. The problem is if you try to use that oh, in I something, know. people look at you yeah, like, oh, I know. what are you yeah, doing? Well, are you concerned about the fissiparity of college athletics? <laughs> there will be yeah, a, well, huh? yeah, yeah, so we'll let that go for another time. <laughs> but <clears throat> good morning. It is a pleasure to welcome the associate head coach for Oregon State uh, women's basketball, Jonas Chatterton, in his 10th year with the Beavers and has seen the great teams and the great runs to the tournament and to the Final Four. And it looks to me and feels like, Coach, as we welcome Jonas in, that after dealing with COVID and and other aspects of, of kind of getting yourself back into a position to make a run at the NCAA tournament, that this team, this group, is showing some of the signs of some of the great teams that you've had the the honor of of coaching along with Scott and the staff over the years. Yesterday is one, another example of it. Jonas, congratulations. I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but do you see some signs that this group coming together in the manner that some of your previous teams in in the big, deep NCAA runs accomplished? 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. And good morning to you guys. Good morning. It's, it's good to be back on the show. But, uh, yeah, this team absolutely has the characteristics of that. You know, um, we've kind of joked as a staff that we're back to all the stats that when we had those great teams, you know, we're back in the same kind of uh, realm of, of defensive field goal percentage. I think our defense is significantly better this year than it's been in the past few years. And uh, our defensive rebounding's up. And then offensively, we're just playing efficient and within ourselves. And, um, you know, which is a, a characteristic of, of Scott's teams over the years and, and, um, and the way we've done things. And uh, we're back to kind of that same mantra and that same group of, of, and team. And you win games in different ways. The, the, the last time you took the floor before yesterday, you scored 91 and had a chance it looked like at 100 with about three and a half, four minutes to go. Yesterday's game, though, you were in a different kind of game and you win 64 to 60. Jonas, the, even just those scores alone and the style of play and what it takes to win certain games, does that speak to some versatility within your team? Yeah, for sure. You know, and I think that that's, uh, what we've been able to find is, and you know, the great characteristic of this team is the depth. And we've had different players step up different nights. Um, and then, so, you know, one night, someone else, it's someone else's night. And the great thing about it is our, our team is so happy for everyone's individual success, which is helping our team, uh, have success, you know? And so we, we've found ways in different ways, uh, to, to come through and win games, you know? And I think at the end of the day, one big staple that we've had is, our defense, no matter who's been on the floor, has been uh, has been very good this year. Jonas, I'm a little surprised that others seem to be surprised with your success this year. It's only been a couple of years since you guys were 15 and 0, and perhaps going to make a Final Four run and host in Portland on regional that type of thing, and then it got shut down because of COVID. And then there was uh, you know a couple of down years; some players had to leave for specific reasons. Uh, but it never, the bottom never completely dropped out, it seemed. And here you are now on this run, this, this great playoff run, up one spot, by the way, to number 17 in this week's poll. It's, it's like everybody forgot. It's like, no, no, you, you've always had some great players. It was just a matter of picking up a few more because some, you, you lost some. And again, as, as Coach Rook said, they, it was for specific reasons that they had to go to where they went. So, I don't know. I know that internally you guys don't wor- worry about the outside world, but I am a little surprised at people's surprise at how good you guys are. Well, I think that, you know, part of that is that we created a standard of success that was so high, and so people have these, these expectations uh, through that. And, you know, COVID for sure hurt our program in different ways. And like you said, some players uh, left during COVID and, and different things. And we were just kind of in a flux and transition there for uh, a little while. Not that I think our program went away. We still had success. Just don't know if we were at the level that we were at. And obviously now getting back to it and kind of, you know, through recruiting and, and different things, getting back to um, a group that can be good, you know, for a long time. We really don't have a senior on this team. And so um, uh, this, this group could be, could be uh for a long time. Do you feel like the, this team is, you're 18 and 3, so you've had the opportunity now to maybe, especially heading into the Oregon game with it being the only game of the week, do you have to worry at all, or not, I think I know the answer to this question, about the team getting full of themselves? You know, no, I think that, you know, this team has been, um, has been so good that every day they just come in and, and they are so coachable and we continue just to get better and better in practice. Uh, you know, our practices have, have really elevated over the, 
over the year as well. And so we just compete at such a high level. Um, and so we're just focusing on doing what we can to, be, to get better every day uh, and not so much worrying about, you know, the outside influences which we can't control. And uh, I think this team's done a good job of that. Jonas Chatterton joining us. Jonas, you mentioned moments ago that no matter who's on the floor, you know, offense will vary maybe from one game to the next, but your defense has been solid. How do you get to that? How do you do that? How does that get accomplished to get kind of get back to what you were saying, the defensive performances that allowed you to go to a Final Four and Elite Eight, et cetera? It's hard to do, but you feel like some of your defensive numbers are approaching that. How do you, how do you get there? Well, I think that a big part of it is that we've had a group that's really bought into that. And, um, you know, it starts with, you know, we have had, and, you know, one thing that's been great this year is adding uh, Donovan and Kennedy is they've been able to really slow the ball and pick up the ball, which starts our defensive transition. And that has been a huge aspect. And that kind of goes unnoticed and everything else they're trying to handle as freshman point guards. And, but their defensive presence uh, to slow the ball initially has really helped our defense. And then, as a group that we've bought into this. And, you know, I think that uh, as we've gone through conference, you know, I'm going to give uh, Talia um, Von Olhoffen a, a, a big shout-out. I think she's played her best defensive basketball and really has played her best basketball, uh, but it started on the defensive end. And I think that, you know, it's, it's when you get the group to buy into that and our defensive uh, capabilities, then the rest kind of comes together and these guys work hard every day, uh, battling each other and, and battling the scout guys. And, and our defense has just been one of those things that we've bought into and then really has led us through the season in our success. Are you a no switch defense or a fight through the screen defense? Uh, well, we would like to stay with our own as much as possible. There's definitely times you have to switch, but we would like to stay with our own as much as possible. You know, I was watching yesterday's game pretty closely with Donovan Hunter, who strikes me as an elite defender. But she would, yeah, not always. I don't know what your rules are. Maybe it depends on the personnel. But she would go behind screens often, but she does so so quickly that she never lost contact with the Oregon point guard. Am I right? I mean, are there some players, though, that you say, hey, you got to fight over lest you lose them and they turn the corner on you? I mean, what, what are sort of your rules there? Well, and I think that that's, that goes to what I was kind of saying with uh, Donovan and Kennedy is that they're able to, you know, manipulate those kinds of situations and go either under screens or over screens based upon their athleticism and their willingness to really uh, defend. You know, they both came in with a defensive mantra. Um, and since, you know, really, you know, like, you know, in the eliteness of like Gabby Hanson where they could get through screens and there's not really necessarily rule. It's just keep everything in front of you and, and give up as much as you as least as you can, and they've done a fantastic job of that. And really, you know, those two have set a standard. So now it kind of bleeds through our group, uh, and our, our, our defense has gotten better that way. Okay, so let me take you back uh, 30 years. Um, <laughs> baseline, do you give it up, or do you tra- do you uh, rotate over? I, we, I was taught, and we were always taught back in the day, don't give it up, meaning anybody to your, let's say it's a, a right-handed dribbler, don't let them go around you to the outside, whether you're up high, certainly on the baseline, cut them off, use the baseline as an extra defender. But then in years of broadcasting, especially at the collegiate game, it became more of a, well, you know, this person is supposed to rotate over here and cut them off here and do that there. And I don't know. What do, what, what do you guys do? 
we still, you know, the old school way. Let's try and cut that baseline off. Thank and you. Obviously, you have to you have to help as much as you need to help. But uh, we would like our our defenders to be able to, to guard their own. I yes. Mean, if you don't have to help, then you don't have to rotate. Well, and if you cut off the baseline, in theory, baseline can yeah. be sideline, but baseline, then there's clogged up in the middle for help if they get past you. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Good Good to hear a couple of coaches talking it over, and I appreciate it, John. <laughs> old school. Jonas says old school. I, I love it. Thank yeah. you. Jonas Chatterton, associate head coach, joining us. One one final thing on defense, and was with reference to yesterday, if I watched closely, and I did, I – Am I right, Jonas, that you may have only played one or two possessions of zone in the game? Were you mainly man? And, and, and Does it depend how the game flows, a pre-scout, and this is what our best defense will be on a given day? Yeah, you know, we, we, I don't remember exactly how many possessions of zone we ran yesterday, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's a little bit of pre-scout how we feel uh, what's going to be successful. And, you know, um, I think that that's a big part of it is we started this year uh, really heavily focused on our man defense, but our zone defense has gone significantly better as the years gone on. Um, and so we're more and more comfortable playing that. Um, and so I think it just kind of depends upon the game and, and the flow of the game and, and what uh, we as a staff probably going into the game so that we're going to be successful. Is there anything that coaches will do or say outside of just a verbal reminder when you're going back, and especially in less than two weeks, to where you upset someone and made them very mad and <laughs> caused them to drop in the polls, and now you're going back to the mountain schools where they're going to want to get you, what do you do to prepare for the home crowd, the, the other team being jacked maybe more than they were when they came into your place? Is it just, just a reminder in every practice that you guys are uh, uh, conducting? Well, you know, absolutely, and, we, and we've discussed that. I mean, we know, uh, you know, you've now got a target on your back, and everybody wants you, especially those schools, obviously, after, after the weekend we had, uh, not this weekend, but the weekend before. And so, you know, we've got to go in and play with a great effort. We know we're going to get their best effort, uh, and so we've got to go in and match that intensity and effort and, and play better than we even did at home. And, um, and so... We've got to practice and prepare in that same way. Uh, none of these games are easy. Uh, our conference is amazingly good, uh, and so not, nothing's going to ever be easy. And so you've got to go in and prepare and plan and, and get ready to play, you know, every game. And so, you know, obviously these teams would love to get back at you. Uh, we need to approach it in the same way and then understand that it doesn't matter what we did two weeks ago. It's about what we're going to do on Friday and Sunday of this week. Jonas Chatterton, associated coach for women's basketball, with us for a few more minutes. Coach, uh, a quick thought from you about yesterday. We we should, with you and Scott and anybody we talk to, it's always defense first. But let's let's get to the offensive side. And to me, a Gardner early and throughout, but early when shots weren't falling for others, how good was she on the offensive end yesterday? Uh, to me, is a fantastic uh, offensive player. And, you know, when she gets her feet set, um, she's as good a shooter as anyone in the country. And so, you know, she, uh, especially in zone, she's, she's very good at finding ways and finding open gaps to get herself uh, in the zone. And, and we look for her, obviously, within that. And so uh, her ability to flash in and get, get herself into, into shooting, into her shooting pocket and her shot gets off so quick, you know, is one of those things that, it's really hard to guard, but uh, I, 
to me, I had a, a great a great day yesterday, and she's really actually played well the last uh, you know this season as it continues to go and gets better and better. But she had a great day yesterday and uh, was able to hit shots, especially in the first half, and kind of open it up mm-hmm. a little bit for us. We're going to have the pleasure of visiting with Lily Hansford later in the week on the Joe Beaver Show. Three-point shots, which you guys have been so good at through the years, were not falling with regularity or consistency. That's an understatement through three quarters. But in the fourth, the shots that Lily Hansford hit and the four-point play and all of those things, tell me, Jonas, what you've seen in her and what you as coaches and her teammates think, even in a day where it hasn't gone in maybe early, you still want her to take those open looks, and she is so clutch in that fourth quarter yesterday. Absolutely. If Lily gets an open shot, we all want her to shoot it, and uh, we need her to uh, hunt those shots and stuff we've talked about with her. Um, you know, this whole year, uh, Lily put herself in a position where, you know, as a whole year has gone on and watching her shoot uh, in, in the guards and everything else, she has just shot the ball at such a high rate um, and is it's one of those kids that I, she's shooting 50% on the year. I think she's shooting something like 68% from three in conference. Um, and so, you know, it's finding ways for her. And, the, you know, she's become such a weapon. Uh, and we've had some of these players over the years. But, you know, she stretches the floor, which makes it open up for Ray inside as well. And so um, she's really had a great year, uh, obviously, shooting the ball. And overall, I mean, I think her defense and her rebounding has gone better. But, um, you know, if Lily can get – it gets space, that ball needs to go up, and uh, it's got a high chance of going in. And the final thing, you mentioned Ray, and, it, it, you know, with Talia. Uh, Talia, we had her on last week on the show. There's almost a sense when we're talking about Reagan and Donovan and, and some of the, and, and uh, Dominica and her great game at Cal. Mm-hmm. The steadiness of Talia is such that she's playing her best defense, and she told us she really bought into it, so that confirms what you said. But we almost look at Reagan, I feel like, after a game like yesterday. Oh, yeah, well, she's 14 and 16. <laughs> you know what I mean, Coach? The, yeah. What you can expect from her game in and game out. Well, I mean, what, it's, what a luxury to have. Uh, she's, and exactly what you said, it's almost like a, you know, an afterthought a little bit of what Reagan does night in and night out. But it's unreal the, the number she's putting up and what she does to defenses. Um, you know, she can score one-on-one uh, on anyone in the country and, and uh, is proven that. And her, I don't know, her steadiness for our team and what she provides is just so valuable. Um, but, uh, yeah, Reagan has been absolutely fantastic. Jonas, we appreciate your time whenever you, you know, we, you, you always say yes when we call upon you. We appreciate that and appreciate what's happening. It's been fun to watch unfold and we wish you well uh, back on the road in this uh, yeah. this grinder of a conference, but uh, it's been fun to watch this team continue to grow and develop, and we appreciate you and uh, the staff and the players for making yourself available to us. Good talking to you, Jonas, and thanks for the time. Thank you, guys, and have a wonderful day, and go beef. Thanks a lot. Associate Head Coach Jonas Chatterton. Mostly open phones, I think, the rest of the way, unless there's a late Uh, answer with the the lines that are dangled out but i'm expecting open phones anything you want to jump in with the rest of the way 497 53 56 does anybody remember the name of lynn shackleford and does anybody know why he might even be on the joe beaver show does anybody know was anybody listening that's kind of the question why lynn shackleford what lynn shackleford well what came about anybody anybody was anybody listening
to that particular part the other night. And the why and the wherefore. I heard you. Lynn Shackelford being waylaid. 49753. I think I heard you promote. Get his number. I did. Get that guy's number. Get his number. Somebody was yelling that to me across the way at Paulie. Get his number. Get that fella's number. (laughs) Okay. And that's how we waylaid Lynn Shackelford. But. Did you. Riddle me this. We have a minute here. Uh, Was it a who's who? Did you see famous people? No, no, not nearly as much as the night Kareem and Walton and AC were all there together in one night. In fact, were you there that night? Yeah, I was at that game. Kareem, Walton, and AC together in the same building. Maddie and I drove over. We went as a family to go to Disneyland. Let's go see the Beavers. So we drove all the way from Anaheim over to... uh, to Westwood and, and saw that game and Maddie got a picture with AC and got to meet Bill Walton. Yeah, that it wasn't quite like that. And I think Seth Green was there. He's an actor, oh, yeah, yeah. voice actor. And and also there was a guy sitting behind you at that game that was an actor. Kurt Wood Smith, <laughs> the guy from that 70s show. Yeah, yeah and I, I got a picture taken with him. Yeah. I don't do that very often, but I did it more for my daughters who, you know, the yeah. se- that 70s show, I've seen a few episodes, and it's elicited a chuckle, yeah. and it's what he says. But he was right there. Guffaw. He was right behind our yeah. bench. And yeah. so, but I, I, I wanted to talk to him more about his work in Dead Poet Society, where he was a bad man, a very bad man. <laughs> we break, we come back. The Joe Beaver Show continues on Joe Radio. The last few minutes of our first hour, open phones throughout next hour. Uh, We'll have a meditation to open next hour on surprising, I don't know, ignorance. That's a strong, that's a mean, it's kind of a fighting word uh, out of ignorance. But uh, surprising ignorance to me on a couple of things that I ran into over the weekend. Okay. Close to home. I'm curious. And we'll we'll do that at the beginning of next hour. You piqued my interest. Thank you. And it has nothing to do with you, of course. <laughs> but Andy and Mitchell, who we would never, you know, right? no surprise in ignorance in his life. No. In fact, we were just talking about quite the opposite. We're going to go to Andy and Mitchell, and we sense that he'll have knowledge of things we know we, have, we haven't <laughs> that's even considered. Right. That's so right. let's see if that's the case today. Andy and Mitchell, good morning. Welcome to the Joe Beaver Show. Morning, Mike and John. Appreciate you squeezing me in here. Yeah, speaking of ignorance, I do have a little bit of a bone to pick. I I, I am just uh, I'm a little I'm a little fatigued over the last few years of of folks and the narrative trying to put Kelly Graves and Scott Ruick in the same breath. It's just it, there's no comparison. <laughs> there's no comparison, and I you hear it all the time what a great rivalry it is and how this thing's been going since Graves got there back and forth. But I submit, really, with the exception of a once-in-a-generation player, Sabrina, mm-hmm. it really hasn't been that close. I know we've had a, a couple down years, some strange things with COVID and some transfers and just, just weird times. But overall, Scott has owned that rivalry. I think he's 14-7. and seven. And I don't know off the top of my head, maybe we can look this up, but of... Of the seven losses, I'm sure at least four probably came when Sabrina was there. And so I just I, I just shout at my TV until I'm blue in the face because that's all we ever hear is how great this rivalry is, how amazing it is, and, you know, the back and forth, the back and forth between Graves and Ruick. And, you know, it's, it's really not the case when you, when you unpack it. So just wanted to get that off my chest since we're talking about ignorance. And really the only thing... You know, the only stat 
that Graves is going to beat Scott and is, is maybe height. I think you've got him by an inch or two. Well, yeah, I, I, so. that's a good point, Andy. And I, I, I did, did you feel that Ann and Mary belabored that yesterday? No, no, not to say them necessarily. Okay. Ann and Mary do a good job, especially Ann. She's, she's awesome. Yes. But um, I do think, you know, every broadcast, and of course, it's, you know, a lot of these are on the Pac-12, and they, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not, they're not just going to hammer them like, wow, Scott Rulick is so much better than Charlie <laughs> Gray. I'm not expecting them right. to do that. I mean, although I'd like them to, you know, I, I, I mean, that would that would be nice, but I just think in general they're kind of talking of this playing field and the back and forth and all this stuff, and it's like I think I think a couple good years uh, with a very peak player where they I think mm-hmm. they had like three three first round draft picks on that that team in in 2020. So, anyways, I think it gets skewed a little bit, um, but glad to see the Beavers get the job done. Like I said last week, it's, it's somebody new every day, which is mm-hmm. awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, stepping up, they, they truly are deep, and um, yeah, I. Who knows what could happen? I mean, I think there's still a year from their peak. That's just me, but there's a good chance. I mean, if they, you know, if they yes. win these games in the Mountain Schools, I don't, you know, it, it, who knows if they'll lose? I don't know. Even with the schedule, so really exciting. And then last thing is just an aside. Maybe you guys can help me dig into this. I have not heard an update in a little bit. Uh, football schedule. It sounds like they're waiting on the Mountain West. We have all the games. What I don't know what the holdup is. Why can't we just get dates on the on the schedule for that? I just haven't heard. The Mountain bit. West. The Mountain West. If we could sort that out. We're, we're just waiting on the Mountain West to do their schedule for game times. That's but, it. But why? They oh, yeah. we know we know all the dates. I'm just wondering. Or, or I mean, we know all the the opponents. Excuse me. I'm just wondering what's the holdup on their end, if you guys had any insight on that. Well, no. No, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know when the Mountain West generally releases its schedule. You know, I don't know that. But the new alliance, you know, the scheduling alliance with the Pac-2 has probably created some issues that made the timely release of their schedule maybe a little more challenging this time around. Gotcha. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I just wondered, maybe you knew, but... Nope. Thank you for uh, taking my Thanks, call. Thanks, Andy. As always, you guys have a great day. Good to hear from you. Thank you. We are down to about a minute or so. No, about 30 seconds. Oh, on the fan. 20 okay. seconds. I just sh- yeah. snapped my neck over because yeah. I forgot I saw where that. we were. Yeah, I saw your head suddenly snap. A la I Nigel thought, oh, Burton. we're going to get hit by the uh, legal ID. A la Nigel Burton time. with the snapping of that head. That's right. That's right. When Don from South, he said, your own radio guy said, is anybody going to cover that Washington State receiver? <laughs> Nigel's head snapped at me at Buffalo Wild Wings. we got an hour to go. Joe Radio welcomes you back for another edition of the Joe Beaver Show, where, as always, we accommodate all manner of inquiry. I'd like to ask you one question. Go ahead. You think that girls think less of a boy if he lets himself be kissed? With your host, Doc Parker. You better do your research, Parker. Doc Parker, reinventing the art of play-by-play. The boys are back in the field. They're lined up, and there they go. Ending in a fight inning. No runs, no errors, but plenty of hits. And John Warren, bravest, kindest, warmest, most wonderful human being I've ever known in my life. Friend of mine. Anybody can help me. He can! Mike and John deliver a daily message to the BCF. And you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. And you will... 
but Tony. And they keep a close eye on the happenings in Westwood. They accuse me of chicanery. I'm a stranger in these parts and unacquainted with the rules. Where can I purchase a book? But above all, there's always a game. Games? Must we? Tune in on the radio if you want to see how the game's going along. <laughs> Mike Riley is tuned in. John? Heard you on the radio. Do you like the show, Coach? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, Doc. We better be going. Okay. Come on, you palooka. Stop stalling. It's the Joe Beaver Show on 1240 Joe Radio. Gosh, from 16 years ago, Doc. That's been a long, and that's our longest open. And since we have no guests, that'll change in the rest of the days of the week. But I said, can you find 08? It's long. Yeah. But it takes us down a road. Pack. 10 happenings, the happenings in Westwood. They accused me of chicanery. <laughs> Rick Neuheisel saying, yeah, I couldn't he wasn't that. up to date. He, he needed to get a rule book. Yeah. Kind of get himself up to speed because of some minor recruiting violations. Well, wait, see, that's that's what the point was the other day, last week, when I, I just couldn't remember. Yeah. I, I don't know, just yeah. trying to think of five things at once. And um, <laughs> I was I was talking about how these opens are historical now. Because we try to. each one, yeah. as you wrote them, has to do with what's happening Kind of, time. yeah, kind with, of, with a little flair toward That's it. the intent, anyway. Yeah, like, what is so, the climate at the moment? If you're, if What's you're going an on? astute listener, you know the whole "Where can I get a book?" has to do with Neuheisel, right? Feigning this, well, I didn't know, right. As he was caught cheating, yeah, let me get a rule well, book. I don't, I need a, I need a rule book. Okay, so you write that into the open <laughs> with, "Can I get a book somewhere? <laughs> Where can I purchase and a book?" And then there was the one with the uh, 2017 with the. Um, Eclipse. The eclipse, yeah, we have that. 2015, do you follow me? Well, stop following me. I mean, we, we, <laughs> oh, that was because the of whole all Facebook of the and Facebook the following. And, and, internet and stuff, yeah. which was perfect. I mean, where in the world would there be a movie soundbite about do you follow me? Because everyone was talking about, about following, following and unfollowing. And, and unfriending. And Field says you are unfriended. Yeah, you are unfriended. In 1934. From 1934, and we use it today. Yes. For all of these friends, nothing ever things. really changes. It's it's that part about that yeah. is what fascinates me. Good afternoon, welcome to the second hour, of the Joe Beaver Show. Open phones for the remainder of the hour. What did I say? A surprising ignorance, and you uh, said yeah. I piqued your interest. Okay, here's two things. Surprising in that. Okay, yesterday, I attended my daughter's matinee performance, and if anybody. Humor me if you can. If anybody listening has also been to The Great Gatsby, what, did, what do you make of the local production? You can talk about, well, the best performance is clearly whoever's playing that Jordan Baker. What a job she's doing. I mean, you, you know, feel free to humor <laughs> me there, too, if you'd like. But if any of you listening have also been to the Albany Civic Theater's production and want to talk about it, here's what surprised me yesterday. Yeah. There. Listening to people, as I'm getting ready, I went by myself yesterday and then came home and watched every minute of the Oregon State. I was listening and checking during intermission and kind of keeping track of how the women were doing. I even ran into a couple of couples who said, we don't want to know anything about the score because we're going to go home to friends and we're going to watch the whole game together. Because I said, yeah, we're going to go watch the women's game. Oh, from halftime on? Oh, they're recording it. We're going to watch it from the start, <laughs> you know, as if we're watching it live. Right. So that's, that's a good plan. Yeah. So th those were people who went to the play yesterday and watched the entirety of the women's game, as did yours truly. But in the lobby area before entering the theater, I was hearing things like this, and this surprised me. 
Ignorance is a strong word, and it's too harsh. I don't mean, oh, these are ignorant people here. No, I'm well, not saying is that. There ignorance just means lack of knowledge. Yeah. People were saying things to each other like, yeah, I, I, you know, have you ever seen The Great Gatsby, the movie, or yeah. have you ever read the book? And I heard several different conversations with different people, and the answer was, eh, no, I've never seen any of the movies or read the book. Now, I heard other people saying I had to read it in high school or that type of thing. Yeah, yeah. But several people who've never seen either of the movies or read the book. That would be me. You've not seen either or no. read the book. Okay, that that's surprising to me given sort of the staying power of that novel, of the movies with Redford and Farrell yeah, and I know. Leonardo DiCaprio. I mean, yeah. pretty big-time movie productions, lavish productions, pretty popular at the box office, mm-hmm. that somewhere along the way you wouldn't have seen one or both, John. That's, no, that's I, surprising. I am me. surprised. Yeah. Um, I just never, never yeah, thought just that... It, yeah, I got you. Yeah, but you're not alone is what a lot of people are going to the theater. I'm going to the theater this weekend. Well, yeah. you know, I mean, people who I would just almost expect people going to see the play The Great Gatsby would go because they have some working knowledge or appreciation of it from the standpoint of having read it or seen the movies. Hey, well, let's see what they do with that material, right. the, the outstanding material, by the way. Some of Fitzgerald's poetry and prose in that novel is beautiful, and I think the character that plays Nick in it, the narrator, delivers a lot of those li- those lines beautifully. It's poetic in nature, particularly the final uh, monologue of Nick at the end of the play is pure poetry. It's beautiful about Gatsby didn't realize his dream was already behind him, and so we beat on. But uh, Bourne's uh, boats born against the current ceaselessly drifting into the past or something like that. It's beautiful. It's beautiful writing. Yeah. It's timeless writing. It's a great novel. Yeah. So <clears throat> I was surprised at the number of people going in yesterday. More surprised Thursday night, you know, how, at Pauly, yeah. with respect to Lynn Shackelford. Lynn Shackelford, and before he joins the show, which he will later in the week, and again, I asked, does that name mean anything to you or anybody we out there? We have a texter who it does. Okay, we'll get to that in just a second. Ed Nags, the associate head coach to Brook Knight and the Corvallis Knights, was at the game Thursday, and Ed was sitting right behind me. We're going to have Ed on the show. He's got an amazing thing planned for this summer prior to opening day that – He's going to share with us, and I think Knights fans and just people in general will be interested in what Coach Nags has planned for the opening day event in the West Coast League this summer. So Coach Nags will join us probably later this week and then closer to the event itself. I was intrigued. But Coach Nags came. We visited for a few minutes. But Ed was sitting right behind me during our pregame show Thursday night. Most of that, as you know, is pre-taped in the, in the can. Yeah, yeah. So you actually have a little time while the stuff's playing out mm-hmm. to converse with Beaver fans, as I had the opportunity Thursday. And while an interview with one of the players or coaches or whatever was playing, I see one of those moments where I, I said to Mike Shacker and to Trevor and people, they had no idea who I was talking about. I might as well have said, hey, well, there goes a, a Chester Conklin or James Finlayson, uh, <laughs> you know, a, a character actors in the old Laurel and Hardy films, Finlayson, Jim's Finlayson, whom the, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis channels in his roles in There Will Be Blood and Gangs of, uh, Gangs of New York. Watch James Finlayson, Ch- Jim, James Finlayson in the old movies 
his, the use of his eyebrows and his eyes, he is. He, he anticipates Daniel Day-Lewis. Anyway, I say to, uh, I say, hey, oh my gosh, is that Lynn Shackelford? And they, of course, look at me and say, who? And I don't blame them. That's <laughs> pulling an obscure name from a long time ago. But I looked. He looks exactly the same as he did 50 years ago to me. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah. So during, I took my headset off and I walked over. Lynn was talking to somebody along UCLA's press row. And I said, Lynn? Yes. And he said, oh, don't, you're about to say you watched me when you were a little kid, aren't you? That's kind of <laughs> what he said. And I laughed. And I said, well, kind of. But I listened to you more than I watched you. I loved you as Chick Hearn's analyst with the Lakers. In the 33-game win streak year, I didn't miss a game. I said, I still have the record, the 33 and a third LP souvenir record about that 33. And he goes, mm -hmm. I've got that too. And so we talked about Chick. We talked about that Laker team. We talked about Wilt and Jerry West. We talked about him playing for John Wooden and his beautiful high arch threes, Ed Nags. I said to Ed, you remember Lynn Shack? Oh, yeah, the high arch threes out of the corner. I said, that's the man. So as it came about, we visited. Lynn and his son were there at the game together. And they both said, hey, so what's happening? With, where are you guys going to be in the Mountain West now? What's going on with mm. Oregon State? That was the surprise and ignorance that, yeah, yeah. that they didn't, haven't followed our travails enough to know. And I brought up, you know, I told them, well, here's kind of what's happening. Then Lynn's son said, I have a question for you. And I've got to come up with the, remember the Lynn son's name because I was really more concerned with yeah. a high arch man. But <laughs> his son says to me, I have a question for you. Yes. How in the world did Oregon State become a baseball power and win all those championships? <laughs> and he just looked at me and said, I think that's the most amazing thing I've ever heard of in college sports. Yeah. He so, dialed in. That's Lynn's That's, uh, son, and Lynn said, yeah, yeah, how did that happen? So Lynn kind of followed it up with his own curiosity. Yeah. So here they were. I was surprised by the – they didn't know kind of what, what our future was now, and mm -hmm. I told them about baseball's independence, and, right. no, that's a good idea. You know, they're, they're really – it's unbelievable, and they yeah. talked about it. And then Lynn said, I used to come. I brought my son to Gill Coliseum to call games as the Pac-10 game of the week on, like, Prime Network in a certain era in the 90s or whatever. Yeah. So, Lynn Shackelford will join us, but I was surprised that they knew as little as they did about kind of what we're going to do now with the well, dissolution of the conference, because they both said, well, it's really sad what's happened to the Pac-12. They're dialed into their local They're dialed and into their world. really thinking about what's left True. over. That's understandable. I, I do know the name Lynn Shackelford, but I couldn't have told you where. I would have said television. Mm -hmm. And Tim from uh, Corvallis says uh, his, quote, Hit with his rainbow shot. Yes. Will, will his rainbow shot ever come down to earth? That's a great line. Yeah. It must have been said by somebody. Is that the texture you were referring to? Yeah, and he said he also played tight defense on Elvin Hayes in the rematch with Houston in the NCAA wow. semifinals in 69. Hayes was shut down. You know, Elvin and the Big E in one of the most important games in the history of American <clears throat> sports. And I, I'm not talking hyperbolically. Monday night basketball at the Astrodome, Johnny. Kareem lost two games in his in his uh, collegiate career. Went eighty-eight and two in three mm -hmm. national championships as Lou Alcindor. Eighty-eight and two. 
One was a 46-44 loss to Bob Boyd and USC at Pauley. The only coach to ever beat Wooden at Pauley. Wow. I mean, get Wooden lost to one coach at Pauley Pavilion. One ever. Time. One time. And twice to Bob Boyd. Boyd got him two times and beat Alcindor 46-44. Lou's other loss in college was a Monday night game. I remember watching with great anticipation. Monday night basketball brought the college game into the modern age. And this is why UCLA, for all of our ambivalence and misgivings about John and the trash talking and all of that, Wooden is to be credited. Mm -hmm. And UCLA basketball becoming the power that it was helped popularize the sport on a national scale. So that that Monday night game between the Big E and Lou Mm -hmm. at the Astrodome drew 52,000 people in attendance for a college basketball non-conference game. I think it was the first game played in a dome stadium. I think it was. And they had it in the middle where the 50-yard line was. That's right. Because anything that came after that, i.e. the Sonics using the Kingdome for playoffs and whatnot, was always on one end with a giant curtain. 52,000 to watch big, you know, the Big E and Lou and the Big E and, and Houston won by yeah. two points, 71 to 69. Kareem had a cut eye. I remember that. In the rematch, which Tim refers to, it was like 91 to 69 in the tournament, the NCAA tournament yeah. later that year. 91 69 with a healthy Lou. Uh-huh. And UCLA went on to win another title. Lynn Shackelford was part of it. He'll join us later in the week to reminisce. So maybe to get uh, a sense of their marvelings over Beaver baseball. His son Jeff, apparently, according to a texter, is a uh, golf analyst. Okay, that national analyst. That may be the guy. I'm the not sure that was to? him. It may be. I like. They were both very nice and curious about our situation and more. About Beaver baseball. Another texter. I love Shackelford. He had that beautiful high arcing shot from mm-hmm. the corner. Yeah. Now, to me, the only one who's ever known for their high-arcing shot was Gar Hurd. I did not know that about Shackelford, but that's pre-Gar Hurd. Yes, it is, and I think Lynn, too, has told the story. At least I heard it listening to Laker games or whatever, UCLA, the replays with Dick Enberg at night, something to the effect of Lynn developed that high-arc shot because of a wire going across his driveway that he had to shoot over to make <laughs> shots from his driveway. Well, you you know, and Dave from Tumwater will okay. get to you here in a second, yeah. but you realize I learned something in when Larry Steele came to Lake Road Grade School circa 1975, I think it was. It was before the championship year. He brought with him a, a rim, an actual rim, and three basketballs. After he opened the thing with all of us fifth, sixth grade boys just couldn't uh, couldn't believe that that Larry Steele was going to be in an right. assembly today in yep. the gym with Larry Steele. Are you kidding me? Right. We were in heaven. So he brings us, after his opening line, which was, none of you will make it into the NBA. Right. We were so mad, yeah. none of you will mm-hmm. make it into the NBA. And then, of course, he went on. One of the things he showed us was he right? Was the basket and how big it was. You can fit three balls into the ring at the same time. Now, they just fit enough to hold mm-hmm. each other there, but with a little tiny poke of the finger, you can poke them through. But you can get three mm-hmm. basketballs inside a rim, and the point was that so much of it was geometry. In fact, he even brought out a blackboard and showed the line. He's, uh, it was before he started working with Maurice Lucas because Maurice had that line drive shot. But he said, if you shoot it flat... 
here's how big your target mm-hmm. is. Right. But if you put an arc on it and it's coming down, it's the size of three basketballs. I took that to heart and started putting arcs on my shot. Mm-hmm. I never missed again. That's why you've never lost a horse game. That's right. Now, uh, we're, we're going to go to... to you. Nah, that's <laughs> 25 years ago, Doc. 497 If you'd like to join us, open phones the rest of the way to reflect on... Anything we've been touching on, the name of Lynn Shackelford, the Beaver win yesterday, Major League Baseball to Highway 217 and 26, Progress <laughs> Downs and Shoals Ferry. Can it happen? Those of you who know that territory well, what do you just what do you make of that? Got a knee-jerk reaction. Really? Or, oh yeah, yeah, that'll work. Whatever. <laughs> 497-5356. Let's go to Dave and Tumwater. Dave, thanks for hanging with us. Welcome to the Joe Beaver Show. Uh, good afternoon, fellas. <clears throat> a couple items of old business, uh, which is to say topics you've already brought up, uh, plus uh, a new one I'd want to introduce. I've been puzzling over the same thing Andy and Mitchell has been, and I worked up the theory, maybe it's wishful thinking on my part, but my, uh, my theory on this is that, uh, that the TV schedule is what's delaying the announcement, because I think the broadcast partners of the Mountain West are intrigued by the marketability of Oregon State, Washington State, what would be Mountain West home games of those mm-hmm. Pac-2 schools in those Mountain West venues. I'm thinking that CBS and Fox think that's an unusual opportunity to get value out of what is actually a bargain basement media rights deal they signed with the Mountain West. So my theory is they're trying to maximize those, I guess, what would it be, six appearances of those, uh, maybe even more, of those schools in Mountain West venues uh, at the Mm -hmm. Air Force Academy, at Boise State, et cetera. So that's my theory there. As uh, as for um, uh, the novelist uh, 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 theme, um, the road game, Oregon State road game, the most appeals to me going forward, and thank goodness it was scheduled before the demise of the Pac-12 conference for the same reason that I'm overjoyed that we were able to finish the stadium. I mean, if you just roll the clock back, mm-hmm. that enhancement's not doable. It was bought online almost literally in the, in the nick of time. Yes. But uh, the, the, uh, the downstream football road game, I'm most interested in, Mike, it's when we go to William Faulkner country. And I can't remember, I don't know if that's 2028, 2029. At one point, that looked like, in fact, I even wondered whether I'd be alive when that, when that game rolled around. But it's getting close. Every year I hang in there, it gets just one year closer. Uh, but uh, I'm already uh, which, talking hey, about it with some friends. Dave, which game is that? Yes. Which game? That's the Oregon State. Oregon State at Ole Miss. Okay, now I don't I don't want to pop a bubble here, <laughs> but if it Uh-oh. is if it's that well, no, I'm not saying that it's off. I'm just saying that it could be. You know, a lot of these games that get scheduled that far out don't end up happening. And with the changing landscapes of the world we're in, Dave, I, I, I wouldn't you know I wouldn't necessarily. I mean, I'm hoping it happens. That would be tremendous. But I'm just saying, I'm not necessarily optimistic that it will happen even if we were still in the Pac-12 and the league hadn't imploded I just those games generally speaking scheduled that far out I've seen it too many times be pulled off for for different reasons and now 
the reasons could be manifold that that game doesn't go off. Well, that's uh, that's lo- there's a logic to that, Mike, and uh, I appreciate it. And of course, I'm not booking right. flights to Memphis uh, next week uh, in anticipation of that uh, of that trip. Of course, they uh, they would they would make a return trip to Corvallis, which would be mm-hmm. um, uh, equally exciting. I can't remember not in my lifetime, my lifetime as an Oregon State fan, if ever, uh, when a uh, SEC team made a visit to Corvallis, mm-hmm. that would be. Uh, that would be a red-letter day. But in an allied vein, and this was the new business I wanted to bring up, I continue to monitor goings-on in the Big 12 conference because my window into that uh, is Drake Toll's uh, podcast. And uh, they are extremely nervous in Big 12 country. Uh, they don't like the schedule that your mark came up with. Uh, they were really unnerved in Big 12 country by this SEC a Big Ten alliance or whatever they mm-hmm. call it, because they see it as the next squeeze play uh, where wherein uh, the SEC and the uh, Big Ten continue to monopolize and create an upper tier, and they're particularly scornful. And, and in a way, Brett Yormark has kind of been their ma- messiah yes. of sorts, of course, um, uh, because of the way he maneuvered those uh, Pac-12 uh, legacy teams into the conference. But, they're, but they see Charlie Baker as being a stooge of the big conferences, the big two, uh, and, um, and, uh, and they clearly, without saying as much in, in previous co- podcasts, they have said as much. They see, for the great bulk of the ACC, there are some exceptions, Florida State, Clemson, but for the entirety mm-hmm. of the Big 12 is now newly constituted, those guys see an Oregon State-Washington State future right over the horizon. And so that lonely feeling we've had at the Pac-2 could be we're going to have a lot of company. And, and where, your, where your mark got some bad marks from Toll and his buddies that he brings on to his podcast is that your mark is the only guy with any swack out there in college football, certainly reputationally because of his finesse of the, of the four corner schools. They were surprised that he wasn't more aggressive and pushed back and saying, what about us? Or conversely, coming up with an alternative marketing scheme or make, making more movement along that national conference that, uh, that we've talked about. And I know John in particular is fond of the three 10-team uh, divisions, East, Midwest, and, mm-hmm. and West. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, all of which finally brings me to, back to Baker. That there was a story apparently Nick Daschle, I presume, had to have written about Oregon State University athletic department finances. I'm sure you guys have seen it, though I don't recall your talking about it. The one, there were two things. There was one thing in that that really that stood out to me, and that is the fact that baseball, Oregon State baseball, is more remunerative to the bottom line than both women's hoops and men's hoops, if true. I mean, I'm just... Uh, yes, and, and Dave, I, I believe that. It, I think I believe that is. I think Nick was reporting truth in that. Yes, uh, and so therefore, the Baker's Charlie, the NC, head of the NCAA, the dividing line. And here's my question on my way out. I, I think Baker's dividing line for the schools that are going to survive to that new echelon 
a new subdivision. I think it's a hundred million dollars a year athletic department budget. Not having Dashiell's story in front of me, mm-hmm. I suspect Oregon State is appreciably below that line, Mike. Yes. Correct in that yes. regard. Yes. Yeah, and you know, <laughs> with respect to and and Canzano has a, a mailbag filled with all kinds of things in his his piece today in the Bald Faced Truth. One of the questions is with the demise of the Pac-12 as we know it, and Texas and Oklahoma leaving the Big Twelve. The Big Ten and the SEC are looking to throw their weight around. Where do you uh, think this is going is the question to John. And John answers, the current trajectory is unsustainable. The haves are going to have to separate from the have-nots. Also, football is going to need to separate from the other sports. There are a bunch of complicating factors, Kenzano writes, including Title IX and several pending lawsuits. John's prediction is, quote, major college football ends up with an upper division of schools numbering either 34, 48, or 64. Schools that can afford to pay players and want to invest heavily join. Those who aren't interested or can't pull it off can choose to play in a lower division or drop football. All the other sports then return to the traditional regional conferences or form new ones that make geographic sense. There's a lot in there, isn't there, Dave, in terms of whether John is on to something and saying this is what he thinks the future looks like. Absolutely, Mike. And let me just offer yeah. an observation as, uh, as, uh, uh, as self-encouraging as it is to Oregon State and Washington State's prospects. This was another theme on Drake Toll's most recent podcast, which is that the, the powers that be in those two conferences haven't fully anticipated all of the downstream consequences mm-hmm. of what used to be a rare matchup of, a, let's say, a Michigan or Alabama, if you play those games all the time every year, now, of course, the NFL does that with 32 teams, so it's, it's conceivable, but uh, what Toll was arguing is that the, so much of the sustenance of the Oregon State, I'm, I'm sorry, the college football ecology is, is the diversity of the larger universe of all 130 schools, mm-hmm. and when you lose that diversity, you have nothing but the big boys, uh, there, there's, some, there's some danger in the lack of that diversity. In other words, famili- familiarity, bre- breeding, contempt, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I, it's an interesting take. Um, I think they would be making a grievous mistake if they limit it to 30. Uh, I think they'd be wise enough to see that the, if that's where we end up, it's got to be upwards of well, 60. Absolutely. Oh, I agree with you. When John you. says these, he thinks, Kenzano, 34, 48, or 64, give me 64, please. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? I mean, just again, thinking about long-range prospects. And, Dave, how about this as a prospect, too? That then begets the question, who's in and who's out? Well, yes. You could do a whole show on... on- Arizona. If you have 64, who's in? Who's in and who's Who out? Who comprises the 64? And it's all on their own, right? They decide, right? Schools would decide under that thing whether or not they, they're willing to pay and who would be willing to pay. Now, that is a really interesting question. Willing and able. Yeah, and that's, willing and able. And, that, and, that, and that's why hoop seasons like the Cougs are currently having. Football seasons like Oregon State had up until mm-hmm. November 22nd. Yeah. Baseball seasons that Oregon State has had and hopefully will have this year. These uh, these seasons 
I think you guys would agree, because of the larger context we're talking about, they have extraordinary downstream importance, all out of proportion to their already great significance to you as broadcasters, to people like me as fans. These, these, these seasons now have almost transcendent ramifications. I agree with that. And I, one thing, I, I, I am, for as crazy as it is, I'm intrigued, Dave, about what's going to happen next year with everybody. I'm intrigued to see how all the teams that are leaving do in their respective new conferences and how, what becomes of the Beavers. And I think that at some point during next year or slightly after, there's going to be some movement, some kind of another earthquake of, of change with conferences. And I, who knows, the Florida State thing may come out while that's all happening. And Dave and John, that's why that's why I thought Wilner and then Scott Barnes, who was kind enough to join me at halftime Thursday night at Pauley, Wilner pointed out the, the, the way they were dealt the worst hand, referring to the Beavs and Cougs, the worst hand in the history of college athletics, but they didn't fold. Right. They hung in and have... John said, some flexibility. <laughs> okay, they didn't just, okay, well, throw in their cards, we're joining the Mountain West, or we're doing this, or we're going to drop sports. Or we're, they, they've held the hand, still not a great one, but they're still playing it out effectively, and with the flexibility to, as John, just you just alluded to, next year, everything, I think what you're saying, Dave, too, everything bears watching what happens with Stanford and Cal and the ACC? Mm -hmm. What happens with Florida State and Clemson going forward? All of this, it all has relevance to the ecosystem yes. and to where we are in it. But Scott and the powers that be at Washington State, and Scott and President Murphy here, have at least kept a hand that gives them flexibility to view all of that. They've left themselves some options. And that's why the 2025 baseball <laughs> season is playing as an independent. Yes. I mean, as much as like Andy, I'm intrigued. I'm eager to know what the football schedule is so I can plan around it. I'm very intrigued about what a national powerhouse, uh, yep. Oregon State baseball schedule with games in the, against Big Ten opponents mm -hmm. there and here, SEC there and here, Big 12 there and here, yeah. ACC there and here. That is I would think that would be just a, uh, a mother load of recruiting ammunition mm -hmm. for the, the, uh, the folks on our baseball coaching staff. Yeah. Dave, great talking to you. We'll, we'll do it again, I hope, as the week goes along. Thanks for joining us. While today. you and Dave were yeah. talking earlier, I was, tr I was doing as quick of a search as I could, and I did not see any SEC team ever playing in Corvallis. <clears throat> I, I, I may have overlooked something. Uh, let me think. Looking here. back at, at uh, all the records. Think. Does anybody know, Kip? Grace, Grace, I need a one way ticket to uh, Oxford, Mississippi. Hey, anybody, can we confirm? Or did Doc Fink, Kip Carlson, has an SEC team ever been to Parker? To, you know, to Bellfield. To Bellfield. Yeah. Yay, nay. From, I don't, from what I saw. I think you may be right, Doc. No, nobody. But will Several, it happen? See, I'm, uh, see, I mean, 28, 29, that feels like an eternity. It's just around, it's getting closer, but it feels still like so much is going to happen if between now and then. If there hadn't been any changes, I'd say, yeah. That'll, that we'd be happen. moving towards it. Yeah, yes. that that will happen. A home the and fact home. that there was so many changes and there are still more to come. Right. Probably not. And you are right that. The further out, the better chance they have for not being played, except if things are stable and things are not stable. No. 
497-5356, Downward Dog phone line, University Honda text line, your thoughts on any of the above. Have any of you taken a moment at all, A, to care about MLB to Portland? And if you have, if you're, that's something that interests you, do you have a first sort of knee-jerk reaction to the news about this red tail golf course thing and 164 acres? Does that sound plausible, doable, intriguing to you in any way? 497-5356. The Beaver women win yesterday. Impressive what's going on there. If you have any thoughts about what you're seeing from that group, love to hear from you today, either the Downward Dog phone line or the University Honda text line on Joe Radio. The only person, as you know, to speak to Rene Russo at the famed In-N-Out Burger near LAX. We're all <laughs> kind of milling around in there as a team hovering around. Jeff Reinert thought about it. Other people thought about it. <laughs> but didn't Lamar pull the Heard. Lamar Heard just walks up to Rene Russo at In-N-Out Burger and converses with her and then comes back over. Oh, wow. What was it like? Yeah. And did the team get to talk to her? No. Lamar because did. Didn't you have a different situation, same type of thing with uh, Barry Bonds? I didn't have that. Ball players went up and talked to him. I wasn't on that trip okay. to Pepperdine, but Cole Gillespie and others had their moment with Barry in the parking lot of a restaurant after yeah. a visit to the same restaurant. But Lamar, bless his heart, showing that, you know, what he brings <laughs> to the telecast night in and night out, just a, a sense of confidence and yeah. knowing who he is. He just, hey, you know, I, 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 I enjoy your movies. Uh, absolutely. Good to see you. And, they, and she engaged with him, and they visited yeah. about movies and basketball. Yeah. Lamar Heard. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I Bless wonder. his heart. Let's go to a person that has boldly caught. He probably would have walked up to and talked to Rene Russo in the <laughs> old in and out. Let's go to Paul on the Joe Beaver Show. Paul, good afternoon. Yes, I would have as long as there wasn't a long line. Get in like <laughs> she was just in a long line for a hamburger, but there was no. Lamar was the only one that really had the the nerve or the guts or whatever to go up and talk to her in a, in her celebrity world in L.A. Hmm. <laughs> well, let's talk about that red tail deal. Yes, unless they do something very drastic with the traffic. Yeah, I mean, I drove up two seventeen twice in this last week. You know, to go to Beaverton, right? Yes. Yesterday, there was an accident on 217. I didn't even get on 217. I went south on Murray Boulevard. It turned into Walnut. It hit 99 and came back north to get on I-5, you know, to hit 217 to get on I-5. Smart. I mean, it, Smart move. Absolutely. They, they, A veteran move. Yes. <laughs> they literally have to put light rail into there. There is light rail that, that goes down to... Uh, like Wilsonville or somewhere, I believe, or down to Tualatin. Yeah, but I don't know where that line is. It's not anywhere near 217. The closest thing is that line that takes you from downtown Portland to Hillsboro on 26. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I don't know why they couldn't just take a line, you know, from there south on two, you know, next to 217. Yeah, yeah. They are doing a lot of construction on 217 right now. But it looks like they're just widening. It doesn't look like they're putting any light rail anywhere. No, no. In fact, now that I think about it, there is a line that goes from 26 down to 217. It goes as far south as Beaverton 
I don't think it goes past Beaverton, but it does go down. Doesn't go as far as Washington no, Square. No, not as far as Washington Square, which is what it would need. There, I, I think we're in agreement, Paul, aren't we? That you'd need some kind of train type of mass transit to go in and out of there because it's just hidden back there. In fact, I crossed that that rail line. It's in between two seventeen and Murray Boulevard. Yeah. I was on Highway 10, and I crossed over, and I forget the name of the street. It was down the middle of that street yeah. that was, was headed south. So, um, But, yeah, no, it, it, it's going to be a nightmare. There's absolutely, if they're planning on putting a stadium there, just like when a truck stop goes in on the freeway, whoever builds that truck stop has to modify the exit ramps mm. to handle the traffic. That stadium's going to have to do something to, to prevent the traffic buildup that's going to happen. Right, right. And there's no easy way in and out of there. And and like I said last week, that you'd think that if you're going to offer $50 million For this study? For, for a study or a piece of land, 164 acres, which is by far the biggest for any major league park, that they would have done some kind of research to tell them that unless they made a change, it would be a nightmare traffic-wise. Well, that yeah, 50 to 56 is talking about estimates. You know, not not buying the land. It would be more worth more than that. Oh, yeah, I mean. I thought they were going to plunk down $50 million and say. But no, I, I would imagine 164 acres of real estate that, that is currently the Red Tail Golf Course would go for more than 50. I mean, they're, what they're talking about, that $50 million, Canzano, in fact, even wrote today saying, sources tell me there were two estimates completed. Estimates, one at $50 million and the other at $56 million. Hmm. So they've already spent $106 million studying the feasibility of the Red Well, I hope gone. in That's, that money they got some kind of a mass transit study. Well, <laughs> I concur. And, Paul, I think, you you know, I mean, what we've all experienced somewhere along the way in our lives. Oh, we've yeah. all been to Washington Square. We've, you know, I, I, most of you have, right? At some point or another, you've dealt with 217, 26, one coming from either direction. As Groucho once quipped to somebody on You uh, Bet Your Life, uh, it, somehow the, an age of a female contestant on the show came up. She says, well, I'm approaching 40. And Groucho says, from which direction? <laughs> <laughs> so no, no matter what direction we're talking about, into that area, whether coming up I-5, taking your left on 217 and dealing with it there, or whether coming out 26 and taking a left and coming back down mm-hmm. from the other direction, mm-hmm. it's, brutal it's brutal all the time. It's terrible. So yeah, I don't know what they what their highway plans are. Yeah, yeah, 8 and 10 are bad, too. So we're all in agreement on that. So what they must have some sort of vision, I hope. I hope that, because I want it to work. Yes. I think we all do, right, Paul? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it would it would be great, but man, you can't expect people to 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 have to drive for an hour stuck in traffic to get to the stadium. No, no an hour, not, not on a Tuesday night. No, no, an hour's a, yeah, that's a low estimate. Yeah, and, and especially well, like and then TJ. Then have, to, then have to park in a parking garage that it might take a half hour to get out of the parking. <laughs> yeah, garage. no, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But this is why. Hey, Paul, good to hear from you. We need a final break. Here is what Canzano again wrote. The MLB to PDX effort wants 164 acres of real estate that is currently the Red Tail Golf Course. Have you ever played Red Tail Golf well, Course? Well, it used to be Progress Towns. I used to play it all the time. Yeah, and, and Greg Crawford, our good friend, says it's re- still really popular. Yeah, it's, it's a, a good, good course. course. Very, very popular. 
John writes, I don't blame people for being skeptical. They've been jerked around for 25 years by a variety of other efforts that fell flat. The property, and this is this I do find intriguing. <clears throat> the property has a massive footprint, he writes. Keep in mind, a typical MLB stadium takes up about 16 to 20 acres. Hmm. This is 164. Now, I guess my question is, I feel like, you know, in the Beverly Hillbillies, Jed was hoodwinked into a guy came in and said, Mr. Clampett, I'm investing. We're going to blow a hole through the San Gabriel Valley Mountains and all of the smog that you're dealing with here in Los Angeles. We're going to blow a hole into the mountains and the smog will just blow through the hole in the mountains and L.A. will be smog free. I need your investment in this project. <laughs> so Jed wants to withdraw many, many millions from the bank to, in, to invest in that. Mr. Drysdale got a little squeamish, <laughs> a little squeamish about that. But I feel a little bit, here's my, I feel like almost I want to uh, hole through the mountains. I want some, something coming from the other direction, right. from closer to downtown Portland, downtown. that will cut a swath from the other direction mm -hmm. into that 164-acre area. 164 acres is a lot. Can a lot of it be developed for oh, yeah. this kind of infrastructure that will ease some of the traffic burden coming from the other side of it? Or cut off a 26, some, yes. somehow the north side of it, and bring it in from that end yes. rather than relying on 217. We break. Final break. Any thoughts you want to share? 497-5356, The Joe Beaver Show. Well, let's go to the city in question. No traffic issues or problems there. But I bet Tony's I, going I, at full speed right now. I give, I, I give Mike Barrett and Craig Cheek and the whole. They're trying to do something, and they're trying to get. And Ken Zanoim acknowledges but they that they must know something. Emma, we don't know. And they they must about that whole infrastructure yeah. issue. Let's see how Tony in Portland, listening to the Joe Beaver Show, has sort of reacted to this news or whatever else Tony might be calling about. Tony, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, yeah, I'm super excited about the, the potential for having a stadium. And there is, it's not light rail, it's heavy rail, but the west train system going from Wilsonville to Beaverton that goes along 217. So there is a little bit of mass transit, uh, but I live, I'm just just east of this uh, on the, the, the line between Tigard and Portland. And so Taylor's Ferry runs very close to me. Mm -hmm. it, it's really the only way to get from Southwest Portland to there. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the little neighborhood streets are going to get really impacted. They really do need to get a transportation system worked out. But it's such a huge piece of property. They're talking about uh, like creating a whole entertainment district. Right. Right. So I like the idea. Their ideas are ambitious, and 164 acres, as John points out, I didn't realize that the average plot for an MLB is 16 to 20. So this gives them, as Scott Barnes has, flexibility. Yeah, absolutely. I really, even though it would be further away, the Lloyd Center site really man, it has all the transportation options. So that yeah, makes a lot of sense to me. But it's, it's much smaller. Yeah, yeah. So it's... Uh, and and I I thought that the fifty million was the purchase price. That's what I thought. Well, uh, I I mean I, I don't think so. I mean, wouldn't it be worth more than that? No. I'm sorry, 164 acres. I don't know. In that, I mean, I'm reading Canzano, and it says sources tell me there were two estimates completed, one at fifty and the other at fifty-six. That's estimates about this whole project. That 
I don't think that means that's the price of the land. I think that's to hold what it? I don't know. Earnest that, money? I'm not sure, but I don't think that's the. Okay. I mean, somebody, some real estate person could tell us a realtor could tell us what they think that land is worth, and it's more than that. Yeah. I, yeah, I can go back to the Oregonian article to see if I can get some okay. more uh, definition. But uh, I'm super excited for it. You know, it's, I usually call in about this time of year. Uh, very excited for Beaver baseball mm-hmm. and the Mariners baseball, and uh, heading down to spring training in Phoenix in a couple of weeks. Good for you. Uh, so. Tony, I'm all over it. Tony, uh, let me ask you this. The Mariners themselves, of course, look askance at, because they think this is their market, and they've developed a market. Yeah. But a Portland-Seattle rivalry uh-huh. in MLB baseball would be delicious. It would be great. And, and I'm not oh, sure, do the Mariners, they're, they're not owed anything, are they? They don't have territorial rights here. Well, they kind of do. Do they? I think with the TV issues, they claim, they claim Portland, but they claim Alaska... Idaho, Montana, yeah. you know, they, the whole Northwest, they claim. But I don't think legally they could do it. And, and you know, uh, MLB, the PDX, has definitely got that researched. Yes, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. That, that's not a... Think, yeah, the rivalry would be great. Remember the Sonics Blazers? Yes, oh, yeah. You know, some, so, yeah, I think we definitely need one. And, you know, make it a, a National League team, and we would play, uh, you know, the, the Giants and Dodgers mm-hmm. and... Mm-hmm. And that way it wouldn't be direct competition. Right, that's a good point. But still interleague play would be great with them. Oh, man. Good stuff. Thanks a lot, Tony. Good to hear from you. Have a good trip to Phoenix. I I think, I don't know, I I don't know about this for sure, but I think it would be that the Mariners can claim ownership of the market for things like radio or anything right now, but if another team were to move in, they can't keep it. Yeah. I think that's what yeah, it is. I, I don't. I haven't looked at it deeply enough. TJ probably has, and he could perhaps enlighten us tomorrow with a little bit on uh, the Marine Layer podcast world. In fact, TJ, if you're listening now and want to come in, we got about a minute to go. What it, it, what it what is it, the Mariners' claim in a sense over the state of Oregon? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, they are our regional MLB team, but. As you said, if, if MLB decides, and I don't think they're going to have to pay no. out the kazoo no. for no. territorial rights, as, as the Hillsborough Hops would stand, to make some nice money, a nice chunk of change. To They have the territorial rights in, organiza- in organized baseball right now for the Portland metro area, so I you, think. So a big league club would have to pay off the little guy? Yes, just any club coming in at a higher level has to pay off the operating team at the lower level. In theory, a big league club has the money to say, get away, uh, get out of here, little kid, you're out of here. Jack Kane pulled off a great, he he moved the Bend Phillies slash Rockies to Portland. That's right. Which had, you know, the Portland Beavers had left, as they so often do. (laughs) The Beavers had left, leaving... Jack Keane, with an open market, brought the Portland Rockies, played his cards beautifully, and then sold when Triple-A ball came back into the yeah. city. He he, knew he got the territorial rights and a big chunk of change for that. Single-A baseball for a while in yep. Portland. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today. We've got the likes of Lynn Shackelford and Gina Mizell, P.J. Carlissimo coming the rest of the week. <laughs>